returning faces. Good to see some new faces. I'm glad you are here. And uh, how many of you believe that you're here for a reason? Amen. I don't believe that anybody walks through that door by coincidence, but I believe that God has something specific for each and every person here today. Maybe he's already spoke to you. Maybe he will speak to you in the next uh, 15 or 20 minutes, uh, and and maybe he'll speak to you through the communion. Either way, I believe that God has something specific for us uh, today. We've been going through um, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the past, oh man, it's been several, several weeks, and uh, Pastor Bradley uh, closed it off last week. And uh, he spoke over some really, really good things, and it's almost like a lot there that, that it really deserves several Sundays, but we wanted to put a cap on it because this week, or, uh, this week starts Lent, uh, specifically last week on Ash Wednesday started Lent. And so I want to start off this sermon a little bit talking about what Lent is. It's not, not the stuff in your belly button. Um, it is not Lent, it's Lent, L-E-N-T. Uh, Lent, it's a season on the church calendar, which you may not be familiar with, but it precedes Easter, precedes Holy Week. It's just a time um, of devotion, I would say, a time to reflect, a time to uh, recommit. And, uh, you know, depending on different uh, faith traditions, like, you know, um, like Catholics don't eat, like, they can only eat fish on, um, on Fridays. You know, there's certain things that, like, certain people do. And, you know, the way that we handle it here at our church and the way that we handle it, is that, is that me? I don't know. Or maybe there's a truck outside. Um, anyways, the way that we handle it is, is really just taking it as a time to recommit, a time to focus, and a time to sacrifice. Why, uh, why is Lent 40 days? Or what, what is it? It's 40 days. Why is it 40 days? Uh, well, in the Bible, uh, whenever Jesus first uh, gets baptized and he's about to begin his ministry, he's led by the, wilder- by the Spirit. Where? Into the wilderness. For how many days? 40 days, you guessed it, right? Uh, 40 days. He's led there by the, by the Spirit into the wilderness, uh, or it would have been more like a desert area, uh, a destitute place. And he was led there to, for a time of prayer and fasting. Now, I don't know about you, I could not go without food for 40 days, much less 40 minutes. <laughs> um, and Jesus goes in there for 40 days, and he goes into a time of prayer and fasting. He goes in there, and he's led by the Spirit, the Bible says. Well, why? Why, why was Jesus led in the wilderness? Uh, the Bible specifically says that he was tempted by the devil. He was tempted. And this is a whole other sermon for another day in terms of why he was tempted and what, what temptations he went through. But Jesus was tempted with food, uh, with power, and uh, with authority, right? And Jesus shoots down all these temptations. It's really kind of... Uh, um, a preparation time for him and his ministry, because after he gets out of the wilderness, then he goes, just, just the ministry starts, and everywhere he goes, he's healing people, he's talking to people, he's setting people free, doing all the really cool things that we know that Jesus did, right? Well, with Lent, what we're doing is kind of in a symbolic way, obviously, we're not going to go move out into the desert or into the wilderness and fast for 40 days. But what we do is we take these 40 days as a time of fasting, as a time to reject things of this world and to focus on things of God. Amen? We take this time to, to, to reject things of this world. And so what does that mean? It could mean several things. Like Bradley said, it could be a, a physical uh, fasting. It could be literally, you know, rejecting some sort of uh, food, some sort of uh, thing in your life. Uh, a lot of people give up like sweets, right? Like no sugar, right? No added sugar, nothing like that, right? Some people do that because it, it literally does something uh, to you physically. Some people give up material things like 
uh, I'm going to fast from buying any clothes or buying any, you know, extra items or whatever, right? They fast from something material. Sometimes uh, this is kind of an added thing in the day and age we live in. You might fast from things that are digital, right? Uh, no more social media, no movies, no Netflix, right? We might fast from these things. And one thing that I was taught um, by my youth pastor back then, but now good friend, uh, Pastor John Garlock, was that one thing to note whenever you are fasting from something, it doesn't do any good to abstain from one worldly thing and then just take on another worldly thing. You have to replace the worldly thing with a heavenly thing, right? So if you're taking Netflix away, well, we don't just go over to Hulu <laughs> and, uh, and just start watching that, right? No, you take the time that you were devoting to something that is temporal and, and worldly, and you focus then on God. You take that time, instead of watching Netflix for three hours a day, you go and, and you spend that time to maybe go serve at the food kitchen and pray, right? Or, or do whatever it is in your specific situation, right? So this is a time where we're to grow closer to God. That's it. Obviously, we're always trying to grow closer to God by love when we have these intentional times of the year where it says, hey, I'm going to get intentional about my faith. How many of you know that your intentions really matter? How many of you know, I know this now, I couldn't give these analogies uh, four months ago, but now I know now that in your marriage, you've got to be intentional, right? You've got to say, hey, I'm going to do these things to get closer to my significant other, right? Or how, how many of you know that with your kids, right? I don't know this yet, but I would assume this is the case. You have to do things with them to show them that you love them, right? You have to be with them and, and be, buy them that, that candy they want at the store or something like that, right? I can see she's smiling and nodding at her mom. You've got to do things intentionally to show people that you love them, right? Well, how many of us in here love God? I love God. You love God. We love God. Well, to show our love for God, to show we want to get closer to God, we intentionally do things to make it happen. Not to belabor the point, but if you wanted to get better at golf, what do you do? You practice golf, right? What, if you want to get better at basketball, what do you do? You practice basketball. If you want to get better at, you know, I don't know, playing Uno. What? You're just going to play Uno, right? Silly analogy. I was playing Uno yesterday. It's on the brain. But uh, the point being is that if you want to uh, grow closer to God. You've got to be intentional to do these things, and through Lent, it's a, a really fantastic time to do that. With that being said, if you've got your Bible, I want to turn to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, this is a script set of scriptures that have been on my mind a lot lately, and I really, really love it. It's a story of the rich young ruler. You might have heard it before. If you haven't, I'll give you a little bit of context. It's a, a guy uh, that comes up to Jesus and and really, there's actually not, um, in this specific passage here, there's not really indication that he's young. Just That's just kind of something that uh, we've kind of attached to him, which he very well could be. Um, he's, a, he's rich. He's got a lot of money. He's well off. He's achieved the life, right? He's, he's not, his, his 401k is stacked up. His, his bonds are, are stacked up. He's got all the things that he wants in his life in order. He's wealthy. He's well off. He's got it figured out, right? And uh, he comes to Jesus with some questions. How many of you know that money doesn't solve everything? How many of you know that some people with the most money in the world still have a lot of questions? Right. right? This guy, he has immense wealth, but he still comes to Jesus with some questions. He still comes to Jesus with a very important question. Very important question. And that's where we start off our scripture today. Let's start verse 17. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him. Now pause real quick. In that day and age, 
uh, a man of stature, a man of authority, it was, it was um, embarrassing, it was dishonoring for them to run. They didn't run for anybody. They walked with calmness and, and stature, right? But the Bible says here that he ran up to Jesus. So although he was a man of great wealth and stature, he had a compassionate heart. He was desiring to go to Jesus, right? Man came running up to him, knelt down, knelt down, and asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Fantastic question, right? Question that we all probably have uh, on our minds as well. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Uh, honor your father, your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was a young boy. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing you haven't done, or your, your version might say, there's still one thing that you lack. He told him, go and sell all your possessions and give all of your money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Jesus looked at, around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? This amazed them, and Jesus said again, Dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, Humanly speaking, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Amen. Amen. What a great set of scriptures. Let's pray real quick. Father, I thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for the time we have together. Lord, I pray that you would bless uh, Lord, this, this, uh, this message that we're about to, to go through. Lord, I pray that you would uh, open our hearts, open our ears, Lord, to hear what you have to say. Lord, transform us today and draw us closer to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're just going to go through this whole set of scriptures. I think there's so many little gems in here, specifically how it can relate to, to Lent and how it can help us to grow closer to Jesus. So with that being said, the verse uh, 17 that we read first, um, teacher, how, how, must we, or how can I inherit eternal life? How, what do I do to inherit eternal life? Well, one thing about this, and I was, reading, I was uh, actually listening to another pastor preach on this several weeks ago, and, and one of the comments he made was that uh, this... Uh, idea, I mean, so the rest of the New Testament had never been written yet up to this point. So he didn't have John 3.16, you know, uh, for, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. He never even knew about that scripture. He never, he never knew about any of that, right? What, what he's really asking and, and what their intentions were is that the Jewish people believed that Jesus would establish a kingdom, that Jesus would come into rule and authority and that Jesus would become the king over everything and that he would establish a, an earthly kingdom right there in their day. And he's asking him, hey, what do I do to, to uh, gain this, the life of this kingdom? What do I do to a, gain eternal life with God in your kingdom and whenever you come to establish it? How do I do that, right? So really what he's asking in a lot of ways is how do I gain that authority, Right? I've got earthly authority, but how do I gain heavenly authority? Right? How do I become part of what you're going to be doing, Jesus? Um, but then Jesus continues to go on, and, and he answers the, the guy's question. And he says some really interesting things. Uh, verse 19, 
says, to answer your question, you know all the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Right? The Ten Commandments is what Jesus is referring to here. And he's like, you know all the rules, right? How many of us were taught the rules in Sunday school, right? The, the Ten Commandments, uh, you know, even the basic rules of Jesus' teaching, right? To do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. Uh, and this guy's like, I've done all those things. I've followed the rules. I'm a good boy. I've got my gold star, right? I've, I've done the things I'm supposed to do. I've followed the rules. How many of you in here would say, you know, I'm a pretty good person. I feel like I do the right thing. You can be honest. This is not a trick question. I think I'm an okay person. I feel like I try to do the right thing. I mean, I guess we're all self-deprecating in here. Nobody thinks they're good, but uh, maybe that's good. Maybe that's why we're here, because we need Jesus. Amen? Uh, we know that it, deep down we do sin, but I think all of us, you know, intuitively, we try to do the right thing. We try to, to, to treat our neighbors with respect and with love. We try, to, we try to do the right things whenever the situations come up to us. We're very much like this guy. We've done the right things, right? We've, we've tried to follow the rules. We've, and maybe for some of us in here who have been in church for our whole life, we take pride in that. Bradley talked about that self-righteousness attitude a couple weeks ago, right? We, we have gone through and, and we've followed each and every rule. And we really hang our badge on that, right? Maybe you're sitting in here and you've broken a lot of rules. And you know that. You know that, uh, that you're not where, where God wants to be. There's grace for that. And we'll certainly get to that here in a minute. But this guy here, he was a goody two-shoes. He was the guy who follows all the rules and regulations. But are the rules everything? Because how many of you know that you can follow all the rules? You can obey all of God's rules, but still have a disobedient heart. You can obey all of God's rules, but still have a disobedient heart. Jesus interacted with these guys, and they were called the Pharisees. They followed the letter of the law to a T, but Jesus criticized them. He said, you're a whitewashed tomb. That's what Jesus called them. You're a whitewashed tomb, meaning that you're dead on the inside. You look amazing on the outside, but on the inside, you're nothing but dead. And that's what can happen to us in church sometimes. We can be like this guy. We can be following all the rules. We can be going to our Bible study. We can be uh, going to the church service. We can be singing the songs and, and doing all the things that we want to do that we know we should do, right? But what God is looking for, more so than somebody that will follow rules and regulations, God is looking for a surrendered heart. Amen? God is looking for a surrendered heart. And out of a surrendered heart, we do follow his rules. I'm not saying there's no rules. Don't mishear me. We know there's right and wrong in this world. Amen. There are right things to do and wrong things to do. But all too often, we can get so focused on, on, on doing X, Y, and Z rather than just saying, God, I'm all yours. God, I'm all yours. Right? And having that surrendered heart is the position that we need to come from. And what Jesus found from this guy is that he was doing these things, but he wasn't quite fully surrendered. He wasn't quite fully surrendered. The guy says, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. And then Jesus, he knows that this guy, he's not, he's not all in. And so he goes to correct him. But listen to what he says in verse 21. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. I love this part. He's about to correct him. But how many of you know that whenever God corrects us, it's out of his love? Amen. How many of you have ever had to been correct, corrected by God? You've been going down one path, and God smacked you in the face and said, hey, we need to get you going down this path, right? Path, right? But God's love comes, or God's correction comes always from a place of love. 
Amen. God wants the best for us, so whenever he corrects us, it's because he loves us and he knows that he has a better way for us, right? God is not, I always like to say this, God is not a fun killer. God Living in, in God's ways is the most fun you can have because it leads to life. It leads to a life, life more abundantly. When we do live in God's ways, it leads to the life that God intended for us, which is the best way to live, right? I love this here. Jesus is about to correct him. But the Bible says he had genuine love for him. Genuine love for him. And he says this, there is still one thing you lack. There's still one thing you lack, he told him. He told him, go and sell all your possessions and give your money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. There's still one thing you lack. This guy's situation here, he had put all of his trust in his finances. He'd put all of his trust in his trust fund. <laughs> he had put all of his trust in uh, the material possessions that he had. That's where his trust lied. That's where he had his heart. Right? Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Right? And quite literally, his treasure was here on earth. And what Jesus is saying here is that not that it is a sin to have money. He talks about here in a minute how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God, and we'll certainly talk about that here in a minute. What Jesus is saying is that it's a sin for this guy to hold on to his money because he was holding it as that was the stronghold in his life. That was where his trust was. That was where his whole life was. That's what he would think about on a daily basis. Yes, he followed all the rules. Yes, he followed all the rules, but he wasn't fully surrendered to what God had for him. Jesus told him, hey, this is the one thing that you're holding on to. This is the one thing that in your life, the one area I see, that you're still holding on to this. You still have trust in this. What would that area be for us, right? Each and every person is different. But what is that one thing that you're still holding on to? What is that one thing that you still have trust in over God, right? Maybe it is for you money. Maybe it's the opposite way. Maybe it's the lack thereof. Of money, right? Sometimes the fact I've been there where we, you don't have enough money and you're like, oh man, I'm just so worried, right? And then the, you devote all of your time, energy, and, and brain power to thinking about money, right? And in that instance, it becomes your God because you're trusting in that rather than trusting in God, right? Maybe for you, it's trusting in, in politics. Maybe you're just so, your, your mind is going a thousand miles an hour with this war that's going on in the world and you're worried about gas prices and you're worried about world politics and all this kind of thing and your trust is in government, right? Your trust is in political powers that be, right? Maybe it's something else. Maybe your trust is simply in another person. Maybe that you're just focusing so much on other people. What is it? What is that one thing for you that you hold on to? Uh, the thing about this is, is that it's very hard for us to see our own sin. It's very hard for us to see our own ways in which we fall short, right? This guy had no idea. He came in there like, man, I'm a rock star. I got, I'm about to go talk to Jesus. I need, I need to get some answers, Jesus. But he thought he was, he, he, he was you know, everything in a bag of chips, right? So the, the point, <laughs> just seeing if you're awake. But the point I'm making is that he had something he was holding on to, right? And maybe it's not even something you necessarily have your trust in. But maybe it's a sin in your life. Maybe it's uh, something you know you, don't, you should not be doing, but you continue to participate in that thing anyways. What is that one thing in your life that's holding you back from the future that God has for you? For this guy, it was his money. The thing about it is, though, and this, is where, this, is the, the, this next part here is really the pivotal part of the story, because it would have been one thing if the guy said, 
you know what, Jesus, you're right. You're right. It had been one thing if he went and sold everything he had, and he did give it to the poor, and he went and participated in Jesus' ministry. And he, he could have been part of the crew that fed the 5,000 people. He could have been part of the disciples that went and, and saw many miraculous things. But I'm sad to say that's not what happened. The Bible says, At this the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. At this the man's face fell. Man's face fell. And he was sad because he had many possessions. When you face the conviction of God, when God speaks to you and God tells you about an area of your life that is keeping you from your future in Him, you have two choices. Either you can repent and you can turn to Him, or you can be like this guy and your face can fall. And you go on, you keep living the way that you've always been living, right? There's two options. There's not, a, there's not an in-between. It's one or the other. Whenever God reveals to you something in your life, an area in your life that's keeping you from Him, we have two ways that we can go. We can either turn to God or we can turn from God. I don't know about you, but I want to turn to God. This guy here, he, he had too much pride. He had too much, uh, too much uh, built up in, in trust in what he had built. And he couldn't, he couldn't sell it. He couldn't get rid of it. His face became distraught, and he couldn't give it up. And then Jesus goes into a uh, kind of a mini teaching here that he says this. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? You know what's really interesting is, is the Bible actually talks about money a lot more than we think, Right? Bradley, several times in the scriptures he referenced last week, it, it referenced uh, money. Today, once again, referencing money. How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? This amazed them, but Jesus said, Dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved? Right? Up to this point, it seems like, man, well, we're all goners. They say, well, who can be saved? And he says, humanly speaking, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Amen? There are many people in this world who have accumulated very great amounts of wealth that I believe are true followers of Jesus Christ. Right? I believe that they have entered and will enter the kingdom of heaven. But what do we do with Jesus' words here? What do we take of, of what he says here? Well, first, we've been talking about the kingdom for several weeks, right? And the kingdom of God is something that is, it's kind of this weird dynamic. The kingdom of God is something that is coming, right? Whenever Jesus comes and enacts the kingdom of God and brings into fullness his kingdom and how the world ought to be, right? But then there's also another element to it to where the kingdom is here right now. It's here right now. Luke 17, 21 says this, uh, you will not look and see where is this or where is the kingdom. For the kingdom of God is already among you, Jesus says. The kingdom of God is already among you. So Jesus certainly in some ways is talking about his coming kingdom, but the words of Jesus also tell us that his kingdom is here now. And so what I want to tell you this morning is this, is that when we hold on to the things that separate us from God, it is impossible for us to live and participate in his kingdom now. Let me say that again. When we hold on to the things that separate us from God, how many of us in here have things right now that we know separate us from God? Man, I do. We all have sin knocking on the door. Genesis 2 says that sin is crouching at our door. 
crouching at our door. The Bible says that the devil is, is, is walking around like a, a, a roaring lion seeking who he may devour, right? We know there are things in our life that keep us from God. If we continue to hold on to those things that separate us from God, it is impossible, impossible for us to live and participate in his kingdom here and now. It's impossible for us to live in the way that God wants us to live when we continue to, to hold on to the things that have us bound, right? For this guy right here, it was impossible. Jesus said, there's one big thing you're lacking. You've got to sell th these possessions, man. You've got to get rid of this one area of your life. And he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. And, and for that reason, he was rejecting living in the kingdom of God. He was rejecting the kingdom of God. Man, I wish, he probably wishes he could have had that moment back, right? <laughs> and we've all been there, right? We've all had those moments where we wish we could have it back. But I believe that God speaks to us. I believe that God reveals to us areas in our life that we need to, uh, we need to turn. We need to turn from those things and turn towards God. And when we do, we have the ability to live in the kingdom of God. We have the ability to live in God's presence here and now, the ability to live in his rule and reign here and now, the ability to enact the things uh, that we know that we ought to do. In verse 25 there, he, or sorry, verse 24, he says, Dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. It is hard for someone to enter into the kingdom of God. Why is that? Bradley talked about this a couple weeks ago, or maybe it was even last week, um, when we turn to it here in Matthew chapter... Here it is... Matthew chapter uh, six verse or sorry seven verse thirteen yeah he read it last week you can enter through God's kingdom only through the narrow gate the highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for many who choose that way but the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and few will ever find it that's what Jesus said so what he's saying is that if you want to be my disciple if you want to be my follower. If you want to live in God's kingdom, it's a very narrow way. It's a very tough road. It's a very uh, little road. But where does that road lead? To eternal life. That road leads to Jesus. That road leads to God, right? And so the question for us is like, we know the things in our life that keep us from living the future that God has for us, right? We're not ignorant, we have the Holy Spirit in us, speaking to us, and God can show us things in our life that are not holy, godly, and righteous, right? God can show us those things, and we can say, God, I want to live for you. I'm going to turn from these things. I'm going to repent, which literally means to turn around and walk back towards God, right? We can walk towards him. We can walk down that narrow road, and we can live in the way that Jesus wants us to live. Once again, Jesus said, it is very hard. I think Pastor Bradley and I have been very clear about this over the past couple weeks. And if, 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 if this is your first time here, you know, we've, we don't preach a, a name it and claim it, you know, prosperity gospel around here. We just tell you how it is, is that the life to, to live for Jesus is the best life you can live. But it's not easy. Jesus said, it is very hard. It's very hard because whenever someone slaps you in the face and you're to turn the other cheek, or when someone asks you to carry one coat, you car or sorry, carry one bag, you carry two of them, right? If someone asks you for your shirt, you give them your coat also. If someone betrays you, you pray for them. If someone's your enemy, then you pray for them. If someone uh, goes and they say despiteful things about you, consider it a blessing from God, right? Uh, you're never going to hear that on uh, TBN or whatever it's called the 700 Club, uh, you aren't going to hear that online. 
Because, but that's the truth of the gospel. That's the true gospel. And that's what Jesus says and how we live. But this is the way that leads to life. Treat others the way that you want to be treated, right? Even when they're a jerk. Even whenever they're not nice to you, right? Going that extra mile and showing kindness to people. Everything we've been talking about, it's a very, very hard road. But it's the way that leads to life. It's the way that leads to life. I think of it like, uh, how many of you know like how dim- diamonds are formed? They say the phrase, pressure makes diamonds. Because it's a long, grueling process of heat and pressure that turns black carbon into these beautiful diamonds. And that's the way, it's, a, it's kind of a metaphorical picture of how God works on us. Is that it's not easy to live the life that God wants us to live. It's not easy to be a true Christ follower. But what happens is that we are formed. And we are transformed. And we are made more into the image of God. Who is the diamond? He is the diamond. He is the one uh, that was and is and is to come. And I want to be like him. And I know you do too. And so the question we've got to ask ourselves as we're in this Lent season is what do I need to give up? Literally, what things in my life do I need to give up? Because I believe that, let's just use it because we've already used it once, but I, believe, I don't believe that social media in and of itself is a sin. But it can become a sin and it can lead to sin, right? It can lead to division. It can lead to hatred. It can lead to lust. It can lead to materialism, right? It can lead to all these things. That's just one example, right? We can have all these kinds of things. Uh, and this is a sin nobody wants to talk about, but gluttony, Right? Those are things in our life where we're just consuming so much, right? Everybody's shifting their seat, got a little bit uncomfortable there, right? But it is. It's it's in the Bible. It's a sin. And it's things in America. That's one reason why fasting is really important to put things in perspective. Because if we're gluttonous with our food, how much more will we be gluttonous with our possessions, with our our materialism, with, with the way that we live? And instead, we'll have a selfish spirit rather than a selfless spirit, right? These are all things to think about. So you know your heart. You know your heart. And God knows your heart. And God will speak to you. I truly believe that. That God reveals to us areas that we need to uh, give up some things, but also to take up some things. Some things that we need to take on and we need to to go. Because really, this is where I want to close the message is this, is that in a hypothetical scenario where this guy would have said, you know what, Jesus, you're right. I'm going to go sell everything I have and I'm going to follow you then I guarantee you Jesus would have then asked him to take on something, to take on a responsibility, to take on a new calling, to take on a new adventure, right? Because when God asks us to lay down one thing, he asks us to pick up another, right? He asks us to lay down our sin and to pick up righteousness, right? He asks us to to lay down things of this world and take on our calling in him, which is to be like Jesus, right? And so while we're in this Lenten season, I would really, really encourage you. You're not too late just because we're just a little weekend doesn't mean anything. You can still hop on board. The train is still chugging along. You can hop on board and you can uh, participate in what God has for you. I don't know what it is in your life that you want to give up, but I would encourage you to give something up and to take that time to focus deeper on God to focus deeper on God. As we're on this journey to the cross, we're on this journey towards Easter, it will be a blessing to you if you go and you, you give something up and you, you take that time to really focus on Jesus and to really focus in on what he has for you. Amen?
Amen. I'm going to ask the band if they'll come back up. Um, We're going to uh, enter into a time of communion.